Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Shelby, it's the holiday season and you want to have smiles on your face, not just at the Thanksgiving table, but as you're working through on the way up to Christmas or Hanukkah or Kwanzaa, whatever it may be. And so with that smile, you got to make sure you're on point. And I know so many people have dreaded going to the dentist. My wife hates going to the dentist. It's not my favorite place. I don't hate it as much as she does. And... And I need to go check out our great friends at Aspire Dental here soon because they do a great job of taking care of your teeth. You know, that's why, you know, I love going to Aspire Dental. Even my mother-in-law goes there now. Aspire Dental goes over and above to create a cool vibe and relaxing environment that you really wouldn't expect. And the dentists really, they train pretty hard like I do. And they they really just do it because they want to get the maximum results every day. And that's why I trust them with my dental care. Yeah, Aspire Dental. Again, that's Aspire with an E. They've got some of the best general, surgical, and cosmetic dentists in the country right here in Colorado. And what's even better, Aspire Dental donates 100% of their proceeds from whitening treatments to charity. We know it's a charitable time of the year, and that helps fund local Colorado charities and mission trips around the world. Yeah, Aspire's program is really special. I had my teeth whitened you know, a while ago at Aspire Dental, and it feels great knowing that my treatment helped people in need. And my smile looks amazing, so I'm happy. Plus, the Inspire team really listens to you and makes sure you you feel comfortable. They have headphones, blankets, and TVs so you can relax during your appointment. You guys should really go check them out. Yeah, if you've got to go to the dentist this holiday season and make sure your smile's on point, it should be a place where they treat you like a VIP and has some really talented dentists. Aspire Dental, where excellence in dentistry meets inspired hospitality. Aspire Dental, that's Aspire with an E, AspireDental.com. Play fake for Cousins in the pocket. He's hit and sacked, and the ball is free. It bounces around inside the 15, and Denver's got it. Shelby Harris got the football. Harris came from the blind side and hit Kirk Cousins right in the back. This is Shell Shocked. Quick pass to the middle, intercepted in the end zone. Intercepted by Shelby Harris, the defensive lineman with the play of the game. The Shelby Harris Podcast. Four-man pressure, Carl looks for the end zone, throws the ball, that is deflected, and two-point conversion is nullified. Guess who? Shelby Harris, 10th pass deflection of the season. Broncos defensive end Shelby Harris with Brandon Kristall. Shelby, happy holidays. I guess before we get to the Raiders game, we should at least go chronologically. How was Christmas before you got on the plane and headed out to Vegas? Man, Christmas was good. It was just, uh, you know, Vic gave us the morning off. We got to, you know, hang out with the family in the morning. Like, you know, I got, you know, I have all the kids. And so we got to celebrate our Christmas that morning. Uh, We got the whole morning. I didn't really have to be in until like one o'clock. And so, you know, it was great. Uh, The grandparents came over. You know, they live in our neighborhood now. The grandparents came over and, oh, like you know, I guess that's a big thing for them. They watched the kids, you know, opening presents and stuff. It was just, um, you know, it was a really happy time, man. How about you? Yeah, uh, kind of the same. We did. We kind of broke it up because my 15-year-old was his dad's. So we got him in the middle of the day and then we went up to, to the mountains for a few days. But we did some Santa presents early and then more presents later. And it's funny because I was so excited just to get my wife's stuff this year and I do take back a lot of stuff she gets me shoes or jackets or whatever it's just a habit because I'm pretty specific not that I have some great style I just know what I like so that is kind of what happened but she was stoked about the stuff I got her and that was kind of more important to me so um let me ask you though for for you are you always does your wife surprise you does it surprise you every now and then with some of the stuff you get like you're like oh, I wasn't even thinking about that but I'm glad I, I got it do you do you get that ever did you get that this year no, my wife sucks at keeping surprised. <laughs> so I so I found out about my Christmas gift like a month ago. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, you know, okay. And and that's the thing, it's like my wife like she'll like she'll be like, uh, do you want to know what your gift is? <laughs> and then I'd be like, No. And then she's like, Are you sure? And then and this is like constant, you know, me having denial, and then eventually she's like, All right, what the hell is it? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. It's constant it's got constant battle that make her keep a secret, which is wild to me. 
No, my wife every now and then she'll be like, "Do you want to know about your present? Because I kind of need you to help pick it out." And I'm like, "Okay, if it's something that needs my advice or whatever, just to save us the extra trip of taking it back or this or that, then yeah." I mean, you know, like I have a, a vintage golden tea from 2002 that a couple of years ago she saw somebody in the neighborhood had posted on Facebook, and so she's like, "Hey, do you want to know what your Father's Day present is or could be?" I go, "Yeah." She goes, "Do you want this?" And I was like, "Yeah." She's like, "It's 200 bucks. It's up two blocks away." I'm like, "Oh, I'm in. Let's go." So, you know, what happens like that? But for her, other than you know, there's times where she had said along the way, oh, "I need this, I need that." And we were in Vegas, you know, during the bye week, and we went to this store that had it was you know like one of those kind of new age earthy stores that has all this you know, yoga stuff and mind and body, all that, but it had some cool jewelry that she really liked. And she really liked the sales guy we talked to, and, and then we just kind of kept it moving. But I took a couple pictures and grabbed a card and then ordered a couple of the necklaces, and that really surprised her. So I felt good about that one. So I just started, you know, we were talking about, you know, the arcade game kind of. So I just started looking on Facebook Marketplace, and, yo, these are deals over <laughs> Yeah, like well, four hundred dollars for a fully assembled already, you know, arcade game. Like, that's not bad at all. What happens is people come across them. Maybe they spent the full three to four grand, which is pretty standard for uh, a classic arcade game. But then they have to move, or what? Like that's what happened. There was a guy a couple blocks away from me. He was a computer guy too, so he had redone the motherboard and redone the monitor. <laughs> so I've got this O2 Golden T that is is pretty nice. And then I always am looking for the original NBA Jam, or like you look at. Uh, pinball machines. I mean, you're in for three to six grand easy on those. Let, let me ask you this without, because I did ask Justin the same question on his press conference last week. This was the first Christmas after the nice new contract. Did it change any of your gift giving? Not a chance, no. <laughs> <laughs> you know, honestly, like for me and my wife, you know, I usually Christmas is the one where we're spending a little bit of money on. And then everything else, you know, birthdays, we usually take a trip. And then, you know, anything else like Mother's Day is like, a, you know, it's usually something try to be handmade or something, you know, it's something that shows you care, not necessarily like an expensive gift. And then all of the holidays, it's just some type of thoughtful stuff. So Christmas is usually our one that we usually go all in anyway, but it didn't change because of the contract. And to be fair, it wasn't like you were making pennies on the dollar. You, were, you went from practice squad to your new deal. You had a you had a nice couple of years as a as a vet. So it wasn't going to change that dramatically in, in any big purchases I imagine you had already made, but you had already bought your house. So you, you weren't going to another house. So, well, I'm glad the holidays were good. Then you guys got on a plane. How different did it feel? Because I, you don't have to obviously let anybody know where you guys stay. But last year when you went to Vegas, COVID was obviously still, we were, we were before vaccines really, and, and there were no fans in the stands. So how different was it being in Vegas this year? And yeah, it's Christmas week, but there's plenty of people who bail on, you know, holidays at home because kids are gone or this or that or went to other family members. So they were in Vegas for sure. And I know there were Broncos fans. I saw them. But what was it like, you know, in your hotel and then in, in the building, you know, before we get into the game? The difference was last year I didn't even travel to Vegas. I was on the COVID list. Okay, so it was much different. <laughs> it's way different. I was watching it at home last year. But, you know... The I would say it just in Vegas the hotel it was it was people all around you know there was people in the strip walking there even on Christmas you know obviously a lot of restaurants were closed and that was kind of like the crappy part couldn't order anything really to go uh, the day before the game and that's kind of like our thing I always try to order like something from the area to eat like the day like the day before the game. So really couldn't do that. But, you know, Vegas, it was lively. Like, and, and honestly, I would love to see game days in Vegas that are not on a holiday. And just kind of see how, you know, how lively the city really is. How much do they really support the Raiders and, and how, and, you know, just how the tailgating goes. Because I know how it was at the Coliseum. And so I was watching it as we were going into the game. And I was kind of disappointed. Uh, it just didn't feel, you know, like like that raunchy Raider group that was, you know, it's always this game. It wasn't really the real black hole. I feel like you lost a lot of that Raider feeling when you moved to Vegas. And then even with the flame being lit, you know, the fire of the Raider, you know, you know what I mean? It's, uh, I just remember at the Coliseum, like it was real fire. Like obviously you're in a dome, you can't do real fire, but it was just, it just felt more, you know, it just didn't feel right, I guess. You know, but the stadium is nice as hell. Don't get me wrong. But just, you know, just the Raiders not being in Oakland and being there and not being my first game there. I just I definitely felt like it was missing something. Maybe I couldn't tell exactly on TV. It, 
I would have expected, and you are going to have a home game this weekend in L.A. for sure. We've seen that every time you guys have gone to play the Chargers since they moved up from San Diego. And even when they were in San Diego, in, you know, for the Raiders, uh, when you were with the Raiders and, and certainly with the Broncos, it's been home games down there. But it did look like there was a fair amount of Raiders, like more Raiders fans than I would have expected, at least what I could tell on TV. What do you think the percentage was that were Broncos fans in the stands? Give or take. If, uh, if Dallas uh, was so noticeable. Dallas was very noticeable. I, be, I bet it was, you know, a good 25%, right, uh, like Broncos fans. Wow. But that's the thing. It's like we're over here talking about Raiders games, not being home games. You're talking about Chargers games, you know, not, not really being home games. And it's just that's the reality when you move your team. You know, you got to build that fan base back up. And, you know, obviously there wasn't it wasn't much of a Charger fan base in L.A. at all. And, you know, moving to Vegas, you get a lot of the Fairweather fans, you know, around and the people that are just in town trying to catch a game. But, you know, that's that's the effect that it has is, you know, your stadiums being overrun by the opposing team. But, you know, the, this game, though, it definitely the you know, Raiders fans definitely came out, though, but. You know, it's just uh, from what I've heard, though, that that's pretty rare. They're a regional team. We get that. And they're still the most popular team in L.A. And they haven't been there since, I guess, the early 90s. I think they might have moved back to Oakland in 94, if that sounds right. And I remember when you guys played out there, actually, uh, that Monday night game, I took an Uber to the hotel in Fremont, uh, an area you know real well. And talking to my Uber driver, they told me that, the, the, she, this lady was a big Raiders fan. She had one uncle. They had season tickets. There were, they had four tickets together. One uncle bought the four tickets in Vegas and was planning on going. Other uncle, the team was dead to him. So they didn't completely lose all of their Bay Area fans because as many as the fans that went to the game, there are plenty that didn't, that have just been Raiders fans since the 70s, since John Madden, since Jim Plunkett, since Ken Stabler, right? And go down the list of all those great Raiders teams and Raiders players. So it'll be interesting to see over the next, real, really the next decade to 15 years, if it ever is truly a home field, like has any kind of black hole feel ever, it's always going to be overrun with visiting fans because it's Vegas. The one thing I will say, you know, just about the Raiders in general is that, you know, a lot of people in the Bay Area, when it came to when the Raiders left and should they cheer for the Raiders or should they cheer for the Niners? You know, some people hate the Niners so much <laughs> that they had to stay with the Raiders. But then you do have the fans that are just like, screw it, man. The Raiders abandoned me. So, you know, obviously I'm going to be a Niner fan now. And it's just, obviously, when you split your fan base like that already, you're going to struggle just a little bit. You're playing the Chargers this week, and we'll get into a, a, a breakdown of a team that you guys are looking to sweep. But for, like, my guy Scott Kaplan, who does afternoon radio there in San Diego, they have me on every time the Broncos play the Chargers in a normal week that isn't a holiday week, and, and they're always kind of cheering against the Chargers. <laughs> it's like, hey, who are the Chargers playing? Okay, how are you guys going to beat the Chargers this week? It's, you know, they're the ex-girlfriend they're like hey come in and you know beat up beat up my ex-boyfriend please uh if, if you don't that's that's how it feels when i go on the radio with them uh all right on the field we can get into the game however you want but if i'm keeping score this had to be close to the best game you've played all year certainly some of the biggest plays when you talk about a strip sack and did did you end up having to split that sack with steven weatherly i didn't go back and check the stats did he steal half of your sack on that one yeah we we, we split it but you know it's just that whole game, honestly, I felt really good that game. I felt, you know, loose. I felt like I was able to move. And I just felt like I was able to get into a rhythm that game and actually, you know, set my man up pass rush wise and, and work counters and kind of just keep going the whole game, being able to get pressure. But, you know, it really doesn't matter if we lost. And we were in a situation where we kind of knew we had to win or, or – even though we technically have not been eliminated from the playoffs, there's, I think, what is it, a 1% chance that we can make the playoffs? Yeah, a 1% chance. And if you want, I'm guessing you've heard these scenarios, but maybe you haven't. No, like, run, run, run them by me. I'll I, run them by you, by you real quick uh, because my, my mom asked me, she's like, hey, are the Broncos still alive? I go, yeah, I'm glad you asked because I saw this tweet from our guy Eric DeLalo who does a great job on DenverBroncos.com. He's a lead writer there on your team's website. So here's your slight path to the postseason. Week 17, here's what you need to happen. You need to beat the Chargers. That goes without saying. You need the Rams to go to Baltimore and beat the Ravens with Lamar back at practice today. I assume that means he's going to play, but we'll see. Titans need to beat the Dolphins. Not that far-fetched. Ryan Tannehill revenge game. Browns need to beat the Steelers. 
Certainly a, a coin toss either way. It won't surprise you if the Browns beat them, and it won't surprise you if the Browns lose. So you need those three things happen this week. That's it. You don't need anything else from anybody else, Chiefs, Raiders, anybody else. Then next week, you need to beat the Chiefs. Goes without saying. You need the Steelers to beat the Ravens. You need the Bengals to beat the Browns. Not that far-fetched. Patriots to beat the Dolphins. And the Chargers to beat the Raiders. So you need three things to happen this week to go in addition to your win, obviously, and then four things to happen next week, assuming all three of those things happen this week. If the Rams, Titans, or Browns lose, or maybe even tie, that might be that might be all she wrote. You know, this is why, you know, the last couple of weeks we've been harping on, you know, trying to put our best foot forward is now we're in a situation where we got to, no matter what we do, we got to sit and wait. You know, if one of those scenarios don't work out, we're out. You know what I mean? And, and that's the thing. We had a chance to have, you know, our destiny in our hands. We, we, we were... Well, an opportunity to go out there and, and, and really put our best forward, and we, and we failed with, like, against the Chiefs, against the Bengals, you know, against the Raiders. You know, that's three three losses right there that could easily have been wins if we if we would have, you know, came correct. But uh, that's the shitty part about, you know, this part of the year is, like, now, because we didn't handle our business, we have to literally wait. And, like, we have to win, but then we have to wait and see what other teams do to even have a chance to get into the playoffs. Just because I, I wanted to see if how it was going to happen. Rams-Ravens is an early game, and the Dolphins and Titans is an early game. The Browns and Steelers is the Monday night game. So you will know before you start your game in L.A. what happened in those first two games, and, and that could be the real shitty part is if you catch wind or you just are in the stadium warming up and you see that, whatever, you see that the Dolphins are up 30-10 to 10 on the Titans. We know that it's a four-quarter game. But if you guys see that, even though they don't want you looking at, at your phones or don't have a scoreboard or whatever, or the, the other game, uh, which was Ravens-Rams, right? If you see that score and it's lopsided the other way, then it's like, well, now what? And I think that's a fair question. I know we're going to maybe get into that in a little bit, but let me ask you, if, if you guys catch wind of that, how deflating is that potentially? One of those two things, and I don't know, well, here's the thing, I don't know how many people on your team know what you, you and I just went through. If you feel like sharing, I'm sure you will, and I'm sure there's plenty of people that, that have found out, but it got to be at least, knowing, <laughs> knowing your teammates, there's probably a good 10 to 20 that have no idea what the scenarios are. Yeah, most of us probably don't, but you know, that situation, you know, we we had talked about this before we even went on, on uh, the situation of how do you prepare when you have nothing to play for? You know, like, because, you know, look, what we're talking about here is what if we do go into the game and one of those teams already lost that we need to win, so we're already out. How do you prepare when you don't, when you don't have the postseason to prepare for or, the, or the, you're not playing for the postseason, you're not, you know, you're not playing, you know, obviously for Super Bowl. And I always think that's a funny question because you prepare the exact same way. You know, we're pros. We get paid on our perform, like we get paid, and and we we get judged based on our performance every week. And we go out there. I don't understand how you can go out there and prepare a little differently just because you're not preparing for the playoffs. Because at the end of the day, football is still, you know, when it comes down to it, and it comes down to a lot, is me. Is it be me versus the O lineman? And so, man versus man, no matter what you're playing for, are you just going to let somebody run you over? Are you just going to let somebody block you? Like, and that's the thing. Like, we're all competitors. Nobody's just going to sit there and be like, hey, you know what? Let me take it easy this game. And obviously, you have older players who, you know, just want to get out of that, like, healthy. But I don't know. I just, I just see it as a chance, you know, obviously, you know, the Chiefs, if, like, obviously, you, you, you got the chance to play spoiler you know all the time that's that's one thing that always comes with you know being in that situation but as of now we're still in it and you know until you tell us we're not in it we're still going to act like we are and and that but the biggest thing though that i always want to say is you don't ever go into the game expecting to lose or preparing to lose no matter what your record is you go into every game expecting to whoop their ass like that that's that's number one but then it's just obviously you got to worry about all that other shit on 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 the side, you know. Oh, did the other team wins or not? But no matter what, that's never going to affect our preparation for the game. We're going to go in there and expect to beat their ass and, and and be the more physical team, and that's the only thing you can control in all of these situations. Well, and here's the thing too: I know COVID has ravaged the Chargers in recent weeks, but the schedule gods have certainly 
put two matchups in front of you that have long-term implications beyond just this year and whether that's not only winning to give yourself the best chance to, to one, be headed in the right direction, but two, stay alive in a playoff race. And then two, to kind of set the tone because you're going to see both these teams twice next year. And we know that the streak against the Chiefs now, if my math is right, is what, 0-12 or 0-13? And, and, you know, I guess I could go back and look, but that's sort of the point is that it's been that long since you guys have beaten the Chiefs, regardless of what they are or aren't playing for. So for you guys specifically, because you look at some of these matchups and for teams that are out of it, it may not matter. Some of these cross-conference matchups across, you know, Rams at Ravens, if that wasn't two teams vying for playoff spots, could mean completely nothing, right? There, there's games like that, Texans, Niners. You know, the Texans are playing to, to get better and all that. The Niners are still battling for a playoff spot. But that game could have meant nothing to either or both teams. And, and here's the other thing, too, right? We've talked about it for weeks, playing meaningful games in December. This is me just being a, a calendar, uh, you know, whatever the word is. You guys did play meaningful games for the entire month of December. Now, January, we'll see what January 9th holds. But as of now, certainly January 2nd is a meaningful game. And then to your point, January 9th is going to mean something for all those guys because everybody's still auditioning to keep their job or to get their next job. Exactly. That's what I never understood. People just think, oh, you're out of it, so you're just going to quit. No, because no matter what, you have to go out there and you got to perform. Because at the end of the day, even if – and, and here's the obvious, you know, they're talking about Vic, if he's going to be there this year, he's going to be there next year, you know what I mean? Regardless, regardless who's there, you got to go out there and put your best foot forward. Put the best – put your best film, put your best product on tape, no matter what, because at the end of the day, like, when you're on a losing team, more likely 40 to 50% of the roster will be gone the next year. And you don't want to be one of those 40, 50 percent of those. You don't want to be those guys. So I'm going out there. I'm, I'm trying to get a sack every pass play. I'm going. I'm out there trying to the ball. I'm out there trying to, you know, we're trying to win the game still. And if you just do what you do and go out there and handle yourself like a professional, then you should have no problem with it. The other thing, too, is you don't know what the future holds for your coaching staff. Vic acknowledged he understands the conversations are, are happening, you know, certainly in a, in a public forum. Justin Simmons talked about it in his Wednesday Zoom presser. Vic says he's not thinking about it for one instance and that he'd happily go into next year even without a long-term deal. But George Payton, this is year one on the job. And it's clear that he seems to have a, a handle on what he wants to do as it relates to building a roster. And so I have to think if you're one of the, we'll call it 60 to 65 guys that are going to play over the next two weeks just because of between COVID and injuries and this and that, and even counting last week, you absolutely want to put your best foot forward if you, assuming you want to stay here and be a part of what the Broncos are building. You're in a different position because you're on a multi-year new deal and, a, and one of those building blocks. But especially for these young guys, you know, we talked to Pat Sertan today and Justin on his new deal as, as one of the captains and team leaders and Garrett Bowles on his new deal talked to us on Monday and I want to get into that a little bit. But, and maybe that's part of what the frustration is and that's what I asked Justin too was how disappointing is where you guys are right now and, and needing all this help when you've been saying it since we started this podcast. This team is different. This has felt different than, than the previous rosters that you've been a part of here in previous teams. And so that's got to that's gotta be tough. You know, it's frustrating because we know we're, we're very talented up and down the board all around the roster. But, you know, that's that's the thing is, is you got to be able to bring it together. We, well, you know, we've been talking about this shit all year about how, you know, we have to we have the pieces. We have to go out there and we got to do it on Sunday. And we constantly, you know, fall short. And so we, we got to we got to figure out a way to, you know, flip the script. But, you know, these last two games, you know, you, like you said, it's going to be a, over 60 guys in and out of, of facilities just because of COVID. You know, I always said this, I always say this to the young guys, you know, whenever you get a shot, you better make you may, you better make damn sure you take advantage of it because you may never get another shot again. And that's just the reality of this league. You know, you're an undrafted rookie. And you, you get to play these last two games or something like that. And you don't, you, you out there bullshitting. That might, that may be it. You make it cut. You may never step foot in the NFL facility again. You never know. You know, when I was not on the team, my third year in the league and I was at home for what, 15 of the 17 weeks of the season, I was always wondering, did I not take advantage of my shot? Is that it? You don't, you don't want to be stuck like that, man. Like, you don't be stuck thinking like, damn, I could have done more. Like, why didn't I? Like, you you want to like, and also like I always say about the young guys, you know, with the COVID shit that's going on, you're going to get thrust into this game. You're going to get thrust to the game 
and this might be your first reps of the season. Make sure you're prepared. This, like I said, this might be your only chance. First impressions are, you know, you gotta you gotta take advantage of that first impression. Go out there and kill that shit. And then, you know, you know who took advantage of this shit? Jonas. Yep. Jonas Griffith took advantage of all that stuff. He went out there and, you know, obviously we had Kenny come in. You know, we have Josie. We have AJ. We have Baron. Nobody was talking about Jonas. Jonas has been up there and he's been the talk of the town the last two games. He's been over there killing that shit. That's somebody that was ready for their opportunity and went up there and took advantage of it. Look, your your job is not to do George Payton's job. That's that's why George is GM and your job is to sack quarterbacks and, and make place the line of scrimmage and in the backfield. But... I asked somebody in the in the building who I trust. Let's assume Baron Browning's one of your two starting inside linebackers. We don't know, but the three guys you mentioned off the top, Kenny Young, who I think everybody likes, but he's unrestricted. Josie Jewell, Alexander Johnson, all free agents, right? We understand that Vic may like some of them or, or they may like all of them. But I think it's safe to say as we sit here right now, Baron Browning has a really good shot to be one of the two starting inside linebackers next year based on how he's played, right? Would you feel safe saying that? It feels like he's likely going to be one of the starting inside linebackers. Well, yeah, he's a dog. But the whole thing is, is like Jonas kind of came in and just kind of fucked shit up. You know, <laughs> that was a long step to the, this person who is certainly in the know is Jonas. Are we looking at Jonas and Baron Browning as your likely day one starters next year? Assuming you stay in a three, four defense, whether that's with Vicar or, or whomever might come in next. And they said, at the very least, he's the number three. So, well, that means a draft pick, a vet, one of those guys I just mentioned gets re-signed and they're ahead of him. But he's coming in as the number three guy in this person's estimation. And I think that speaks volumes for a guy that started two fucking games, but look at what he's done in those two games. The whole thing is just like, like I said, he put his best foot forward and now you can't leave him out the conversation. You know what I mean? It's like, well, damn, you know, we do have Jonas. You know what I mean? Like that is, you know. It's just crazy, actually, how much depth you actually realize we have at linebacker from in the beginning when whenever I said we had no depth. And for years, everyone's been trying to replace Josie and Alexander Johnson before that, Todd Davis. It really it, it hadn't been since the Brandon Marshall and Danny Trevathan were running around super fast uh, in, on that Super Bowl 50 team, and then Danny signed with the Bears. But especially with Vic coming in, they're like, oh, he wants fast inside linebackers like Patrick Willis and Roquan Smith. It's like, yeah, no shit, everybody wants those guys. We get it. But... It seems like with Barron, the comfort level in the defense, getting to play inside linebacker, which is, I think, where he's more natural. And then with Jonas, who seemingly did come out of nowhere, the Niners may be regretting that. Not that they don't like Fred Warner, uh, but it won't surprise me at all if y'all stay in a 3-4 defense, uh, you know, and, and whether that's Vic or otherwise, if those two guys are, your, are the two guys – starting behind you and Barron's calling the defense right behind you next year. First practice OTAs. Well, the one thing is they're definitely making their case. And and, I, and that's the whole thing. You know, they're doing what, you know, the best thing for them. They're, they're going out there and they're putting, you know, some great tape up. They're making a hell of a blip, a bunch of plays. And, you know, they and, and look at the way our defense has been playing with those, you know, those two behind us. And even with Kenny behind us, you know, even with AJ and Joe's behind us. And that's the thing is like, so, you know, they're definitely, you know, they're definitely making George's job, you know, a lot tougher. And that's all you want to do as a player. Make the GM's job tough. Don't, 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 you know, don't let it be easy for them to get rid of you. You know, make it very tough and, and, and make sure you stick around. It's funny because you look at the numbers and you guys have been top 10 in just about every category. But how about the number one scoring defense in football? I know it doesn't mean as much as certainly winning games and being in the playoffs and, and securely in the playoffs. But that's still got to feel pretty good that assuming things don't go crazy, you'll certainly be a top five points per game defense. But if y'all finish as a number one scoring defense, that's got to be something to hang your hat on, right? What is that with two pick sixes and, and uh, kickoff return? And, you know, and that's the thing that all goes in the scoring defense. No, but. I don't think it does. I think they finally switched it up. I think forever. No, I'm, pretty sure, I'm, pre I'm pretty sure it does. Cause I'm pretty sure we talk about it as a facility. Yeah, maybe. And maybe like, you might be right. And that goes in the scoring defense. And that's crazy because it's like we've had three touchdowns on us that we have, we didn't even, you know, do anything with. And, and, and that's where we are. But also, it just shows that we just, we can, I don't know, man. It's, it just blows my mind because obviously you look at the stats and stuff and they tell, they tell you one story. But then we go into a game and then we give up one big play and it's at the worst time. And it, and that tells a different story. So, you know, stats obviously tell one story, but, you know, obviously we haven't been playing good enough or great enough to, you know, to, you know, offset everything else. There's got to be with all of these next gen stats and everything else out there. 
they've got to be working on like pivotal play stats, like which team has had the the biggest kind of pivotal play, backbreaking play. Because we can point to a few for you guys, unfortunately. Obviously, that Darius Slay return in, in the Eagles game being one that comes to mind, right? The pick six against the Chiefs when the ball gets deflected and Sorensen takes it back to the house. I think you're probably faster than Sorensen, but he had a, a clear path, and so he was able to score. Uh, but it, it, at some point, we may see that that metric. Let me ask you this, though, because you said something on Sunday in your press conference, and it is fun, fun when you come in there, and I wasn't in Vegas, but I was I was watching from the condo in the mountains as you were addressing the media. The emotion at which you are, whether you win or lose, like after the Washington game or after the – it's funny that you and Derek Wolf used to have your lockers next to each other because he was always dialed up after the game, and, and even after he was one of the last people to go and you'd be one – but to see it now where everything's more pronounced because we don't have access in the locker room where we can kind of pick and choose. So it's like, okay, oh, we're getting these three guys. We're here. We're getting these five guys. To to see the emotion, I, I'm just a appreciate, appreciative, and I think Broncos country is. So that's sort of – it's more of a statement than a question. But do you, do you mind coming in there and doing that? Because you're clearly wired when you come in there, even though you were one of the last to go. I think it's part of the job. You know, it's uh, – you know – it's part of our, you know, duties, you know, as an athlete is we got to go out and give statements after games. You know, that's just part of it. We got to give the thinking of the team, the pulse of the team. And, you know, if win or lose, you know, how, how we're feeling, you know, what, if it was a controversial play that happened, our thoughts on it, just like the same damn thing as having a podcast. <laughs> you know, just pretty much just giving your thoughts out. And so I really don't mind it. And it's just, I always just want, respectful reporters don't ask me no dumbass question right after the game about about something you know you're not going to get an answer to <laughs> you know what i mean and and that's the one thing that always blows me sometimes you get reporters that just want to ask you some questions that it's literally you just look at them like do you really think i'm about to answer that you really think i'm about to just throw somebody under the bus right after the game it just it, like just for no reason like it's just it's, it blows my mind well did you hear the question bill belichick was asked after the bills game no so this lady who's sitting in there i almost want to play it for you Hi, um, football aside, sorry, but I'm doing a story about New Year's resolutions, and I was just wondering if you had any you wanted to share with your fans and our readers? Yeah, no, not right now. Okay, thanks. Maybe next week. <laughs> New Year's resolution questions to Bill Belichick moments after losing a tough game <laughs> to a division opponent, and I think it was their second straight loss. Questions like that? Uh... You know, those type of questions, it's like, what the hell do you want me to say right now? Like if you don't get this shit out of my face, <laughs> like, like, like honestly, like if you if you ask me that question, I might look at you and be like, all right, I'm done. I'll see you guys later. <laughs> like, I'll see you guys. Like when I we're here, to, that's the thing. Is like after a loss, something like that, you're in there to talk about football. Maybe after a win, you can ask somebody that question. After a loss, you're you're pretty much there to talk about the football game. You know, talk about your like how you guys are feeling after, and then get the hell out of there. Unless it was a planted question because he had something crazy planned. It would be awesome if he's like, yeah, you know, I probably need to lose a few pounds, so I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna lay off the sweets. Okay, next question. Oh, you don't know how, how Josh Allen beat oh. us? Okay, <laughs> like, uh, the 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 courage of that lady to to get her question out there. Uh, I don't know if anyone else answered, but that was certainly uh, amusing. The other thing you said in, in the post game though that I think caught a lot of a lot of traction was you talked about how much this team truly loves each other, and I think we've seen that because. Certainly your defense on paper, and I think in reality, has outperformed the offense more consistently, especially of late. But we talked about it last week. We've talked about it a few times. You guys are not coming after your offense. You're not picking on your offense. You're not picking on your coaches or the game plan or execution or anything. And I have to think that's a credit to how much you guys really do like each other, which was the point that you made Sunday. We know how hard those guys are working. And, and you know, we, we love our guys. You know, we, we spend a lot of time around each other and, Obviously not that much now with, you know, new COVID protocols and we're, we're virtual now. So this whole week, all of our meetings have been virtual. We're just going for our practice. But, you know, those are our guys. And 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 we we, we sweat with those guys. We bled with those guys. And, and we're going to stick up for our guys. And, and you know, nobody on our team has too big of an ego. And, and we're literally all in this together. And then when, we, when they hurt, we hurt. When we hurt, they hurt. And you're just – you're not going to get anything accomplished Shit talking your 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 teammates, you know. Shit talking to coaches because one, your coaches aren't going anywhere. What's the point of, of of trashing your coaches? They're going to be your coaches. But then two, when it comes to coaches, you don't burn bridges in this league. 
because I'm telling you, like, I, I, I've seen multiple times where coaches will go to multiple places and bring along the same player because that player knows their scheme and knows what they want. So you just got to be smart. You don't you don't shit on you don't shit on your coaches. You don't shit on your players. You know, you strive to be a good teammate and and you sit there and, and you listen to your coaches. And, and, you know, obviously you challenge them when, when it's time to be challenged and and when it's like a, you know, a debate about something. But you're not about to sit there publicly and just go out there and just and just shit on them. And, and, and usually teams, you know, people and teams that do that type of shit aren't very successful. And so I mentioned Garrett Bowles on, on Monday. He seemed a little just kind of lost or perplexed that this team, like we've talked about, which feels different than than the rosters in recent years. And you look at the talent on both sides of the ball and the young talent. And he was kind of at a loss. He's like, look, until we can figure this out, I don't know how we're going to figure it out was basically what he said. I'm paraphrasing. But the question that I asked Justin, and, and I'll, I'll ask you, and you kind of touched on it, but and, and to hear Garrett's disappointment, like that level of frustration has to be, I guess I did ask you it earlier. It has to eat at you guys a little bit just to, to know that this year should have been different and I guess still can, but it's going to take a, a, a lot of help. And so nonetheless, Garrett Bowles otherwise, and, and Garrett certainly had a, a rough couple of weeks here in, in spots with, with a couple of penalties that I know he'd like to have back and some that maybe weren't even real penalties. But when you hear it from those guys, you, you, I guess that's sort of what you're talking about, that you see how hard they work. You know what it means to everybody. Nobody's mailing it in. And so I guess that's that's got to suck too. Yeah, it's just, uh, you know, obviously it's a whole bunch of emotions and nobody expected this season to be like this, but, you know, it's just, you gotta, you, it's just, it sucks, man, because, you know, we had very high expectations coming into this year and, and this is after, after every loss, it's just like, all right, this, we can fix this. Like, we just got to stick together and, you know, and it's just, we haven't done enough and it's just, you know, I don't know what it's going to take to flip the switch and to just, you know, start scoring 49 points a game and hold them to seven points a game and, you know, no mistakes. But I, I do know bitching at each other and, and going to each other's necks and, and, and you know, just being all negative, that's not going to help anything. And so I think the main thing that, you know, that we've realized is that if we stick together and we work together, it's uh, one, it's, more, it's a more enjoyable workplace. But then two, it's like, we're in this together and and i think that's a known thing between anyone so no, no one's worried about what the other person's going to say and if we do say something to them they know it's out of love couple of positives from the game you know we touched on the game you played so i'm curious after you're all over your pal Derek carr any extra trash talk or hey Derek, how's the family any of that oh no we always talk after the game you know we always talk about all the families i mean after the play oh no i was over there celebrating i was 10 <laughs> yards downfield <laughs> You know what I mean? But it's just, you know, we always, we, me and him, we always talk during the game. I was like, we always be talking, talking shit or like, you know, just going back and forth about, you know, if that was a good, if, you know, if that was actually a fumble, if it wasn't a fumble and all that type of stuff. But, you know, I always like most of the conversations I, you know, I have with people, I usually try to keep it, keep it between me and them. But, you know, we've always had a good relationship. We always will. But, you know, it's just funny because that's, you know, that's my draft class. That's who we all came in with. And I think six of us are still in the league because it, it was Khalil, Derek, Khalil Mack, Derek Carr, Gabe Jackson, uh, Justin Ellis, TJ Carey, uh, Keith McGill, Jonathan Dowling, and myself. But only Keith McGill and Jonathan Dowling are in the league still. And that's eight years in. Pretty good track record for that that draft class. Who was the GM that drafted you guys then? Reggie McKenzie. Oh, right. Reggie was there for obviously a long time. Did you ever see Reggie and his brother together? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Reggie and Riley, uh, the, the, the twins. It would trip me out at the combine because I'm like, wait, am I about to talk to Reggie? Oh, no, that's Riley. He's he's a scout and he's been there a long time, but he's not he's not the GM. So, well, you know, what's crazy, actually, you know, and talking about the, you know, talk about the Raiders is and I want to ask you this because I know you've been around for a while. Obviously, you know, we just saw that John Madden is died and he, he's passed and, you know, he's he's been influential throughout the game, you know, video games and. And it just even, you know, the broadcasting booth, he kind of was John Gruden before John Gruden kind of gave him, you know, the kind of path on how to do it. But did you have any interactions with John Madden? Have you ever met him? So I met him once or twice uh, at a Super Bowl when I covered the Chiefs in 03. So at that point, I was just three years out of school. They had a really good team that year. They went 13-3, and three, had Trent Green, had Priest Holmes. They, they had an offense at 
you know, a bunch of Hall of Famers are really good. You know, pro, Willie Rofe at left tackle, I guess, is Hall of Famer. Tony Richardson at fullback. Tony Gonzalez. They were really good. And they were playing a Monday night game late in the year. And we got to go to walk through. It was either Monday night or Sunday night. I guess I can't even remember the whatever it was. But John Madden was there at the walkthrough. And I'm not sure why we were allowed to go to walk through that day because we almost never were. And John Madden was there. I can't remember what it was. There was something. And John Madden comes out on the field and you would have thought the Pope came out on the field or the president or whatever, because these guys, they basically stopped practice and ran over and guys were giving them hugs and, you know, having the team photographer take pictures and, and, and everything. Cause I don't even know if cell phones had cameras in in 03. Maybe they did, but it was just awesome to see these guys turn into little kids, you know, even though you're talking about a team that was in first place in the AFC West and, and cruising towards a good, a good shot at the playoffs and, and, and all that. And to see John Madden and see the, the way they reacted, you're, you're like, okay, this is this is cool to see. You guys don't have that anymore. Not with John Gruden when he was doing games. Not with Tony Romo. Not with Phil Simms and Jim Nance. And, you know, even those, you know, Troy Aikman, these guys who are great at their jobs, Chris Collinsworth, it's just not the same. John Madden was larger than life. And so uh, I definitely talked to him at a Super Bowl one time. And we had him on the radio once or twice. So I got to just kind of say hi to him, but I, I don't want to pretend like I had a relationship with him. My relationship was just as a fan watching him and Pat Summerall call a whole lot of Cowboys games when I was a kid because <laughs> they were on Fox and the Cowboys were really good. Won three Super Bowls when I was in high school. And look, you, you saw some of those games. You're pretty young, but he called plenty of Brett Favre games. And man, he, I don't know if there's a player he loved more than Brett Favre. And so I didn't go back and watch the documentary yet. I recorded it Saturday and it's played a bunch. I think it's on ESPN plus now too. In addition to FS1, but by all accounts, it's supposed to be great. And I imagine you'll hear about his love for Brett Favre and Brett Favre's love for him. You know, I always think, you know, when someone passes, you always find out some interesting stuff about, you know, the person. And the most interesting thing I've found out about John Madden, believe it or not, he was afraid of flying. Yeah. You didn't did know, you know, did you know, know that, that. I had no clue. I'm, I'm, young. Crew, yeah. oh, I'm younger. I'm yeah. 30 years old. Yeah. And I had no clue that, like, he was terrified of, I'm terrified of flying. Didn't, because I, well, then I was on Cal Poly, whatever, they had that, uh, that plane crash. Right. That, that killed, uh, what was it, like 16 players and, and a couple team managers and stuff like that. But I can understand back then, because honestly, I can only imagine how safe planes really were back then. So I would have been terrified. I would have been terrified too, actually. But, you know, it's crazy, you know, just the little stuff that you find out about somebody, you know, with the little stuff that kind of just comes out later. Well, and because you've seen that Monday Night Football bus that they had forever with, with Gruden, it it stemmed from the Madden cruising. I don't think Gruden even traveled on it. I think it just was there, like, to do interviews and this and that. But Madden had a house in San Francisco and a house in New York and would just kind of operate from those coasts and the bus would get him to his game on Sunday, get him to wherever he needed to, you know, by Monday, Tuesday – and then by Thursday, Friday, he was back on the road. And and so it was something that I don't know when it when it went all the way back to, but forever that was just yeah, the Madden Cruiser and it had it said Madden Cruiser on it. And then after a while I think it had sponsors and it had EA on it. You know, and I'm old enough to remember the first Madden games. The the very first one was a, a coaching game, right? It was designed to help coaches. Uh, it was a computer PC game. And then it quickly evolved with Sega Genesis into Madden 90, 91, and then it just kept going. But the if you could ever play one of those games, you throw a deep post uh, on the first and second year to Jerry Rice, the ball would almost always get hit by the safety, tip drill, Jerry Rice catch it and score. It was like a cheat code. Really? Every oh, wow. time. Every time. Just no, I do know there's a Madden coach. Remember, there was like a Madden coach when it came out even more recently or whatever. But, you know, just the, the stamp on Madden in general is just uh, – Iconic, man. He had three Hall of Fame careers. He's still the winningest coach in NFL history percentage-wise and won a Super Bowl and walked away because I think he was just kind of done. He was like, look, I won a Super Bowl. I think he lost, what, six or seven AFC title games before he, he won that one? Well, he never had a losing season, you know. So, like you said, he literally Hall of Fame in multiple aspects of his life, you know, coaching, commentating. And then you came up with Madden the video game. man. Like, like that's just, you know, like I said – all-time icon, like truly rest in peace. What made the day extra weird, and I'm glad Vic acknowledged it, or it was nice of Vic to acknowledge, a guy named Jeff Dickerson, who I've known for a long time, was just a year older than me, passed away yesterday, I think later in the day, from a lost battle with colon cancer, just two years after his wife died of a rare form of cancer, too. And they've got an 11-year-old son, 
and I should check it just while we're doing this in real time on a Wednesday night. They wanted to raise a hundred grand for his son Parker. I got up to six, it was I just saw it. It was at six hundred thousand dollars. Yeah, six hundred right grand. Because I talked to my wife. I'm like, we need to we need to throw some money in there. I'm like, JD was. Always, I saw his wife. Cause I saw his wife. Yeah, had passed it, just two like, years ago. And I texted him. Ago. I texted because I used to see him at the Final Four every year. He would do a show out of Chicago called Dickerson and Hood on the weekends that then got all the way to ESPN National. But they'd come to the Final Four every year. So me and JD and and Jay Hood would go have some soda pops at the Final Four. And and he was just a, a good dude. When I would need a, something Bears related, I'd text him. He'd you know when the Broncos hired Vic, he and I had a bunch of texts about what to expect and and this and that. And I, I didn't realize he was sick. Obviously, plenty of other people did. So I'm not pretending like we were super close. I did text him when his wife passed, and it was just it was pretty devastating to hear the news. A guy just a year older than me, and so I don't know. You know, we talk about getting pr- prostate checks in your 40s, but you probably want to make sure your colon <laughs> is where it needs to be too. Vic, Vic Lombardi, I saw a tweet about that saying, hey, don't wait until it's too late to uh, to make sure every, everything, right, to get a full tune-up more often than not. Don't be too proud. So uh, tough day for, for a lot of people in football, not just the loss of John Madden because it was unexpected. Look, John was 85. Let's not pretend like he was some spring chicken. But he, I don't think he had been sick. I think the passing was unexpected. And then, and then for J.D. To, to pass two in Chicago, it, it, was, it was tough. Yeah, sad day, in, sad day in sports, man. One other thing on the Raiders game that – I was about to get into, and then, you know, these conversations dovetail because that's what they're supposed to do. We don't have to stick to a script. We're not, we're not uh, you know, actors on a stage. So Bradley Chubb's play on that tip to himself and then to return it down to the one, I'm sure he was kicking himself for not scoring. Obviously, Javante Williams punches it in. I know that the Pat Sertan running 22.06 miles per hour, fastest DBs ran in five years, was a great play, pick six, helped seal that game really or put it away for good. But would you argue with me much if I said the Bradley Chubb play was the best defensive player of the year? I don't know. I can't because I, it's at the time, and obviously if we would have pulled out the win against the Raiders, you can compare the two. You know, they both were huge plays, but Pats at the time, um, I'm pretty sure, if I remember correctly, we were struggling on offense at the time. It was like going back and forth, and Pats kind of gave us a little boost and 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 separated us from the charges at one time and and obviously when Chubb did it Chubb got it down to the one and we scored and we took the lead but and it obviously didn't last very long but man it's just you know they both are you know great plays but for me I kind of have to go with Chubb you know what I mean like I'm not saying Pat had the ball thrown right to him well, he kind of had the ball tipped right to him <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know what I mean Chubb kind of had to do you know I'm always going to you know Go with the road dogs, you know, the rushers and everything. But, you know, Chubb had to tip the ball, catch it, and then try to score. So, you know, I, I feel like, you know, Chubb's, you know, the Chubb's play was definitely, it was, it was a hell of a play. You know, I wish he would have scored, got that touchdown. I don't think he scored in the league, has he? This, that would have been his yet. first touchdown. Not yet. That would have been his first time. That would It just would have been cool. But, you know, I, yeah, I have to give the nod to Chubb a little bit. Yeah, just in a vacuum to me, that was the, the best defensive play I've seen all year. Now, you, we talked about Sertan. And we'll get to the Chargers because that play was against the Chargers. But quickly, with all the COVID stuff, because you did touch on how weird it's been for you the last couple of weeks. Not weird, just different. And your interaction with your teammates is more virtual. Not that you don't see each other on the practice field, coming to and from in the locker room. But but you guys have kind of been ahead of the curve in terms of separating and going to the offenses out in the field house. The defense is spread out across the main building there. And so where are you with the constant changing protocols, but also how you guys have handled it. And then to see that there is an uptick in your building at really in the last couple of weeks. And I got to think that because of what's going on across the country is making you a little nervous, right? You know, the Broncos, I've, I would say, have been a little proactive, just, you know, separating us and, and you know, trying to keep the six feet between all the players. And so, you know, offense has been the indoor and defense is, you know, D-line meets and the team meeting, like the defensive meeting rooms and stuff. But how things are pretty much right now, you know, everything's virtual. Uh, all of our meetings are virtual. Uh, and we pretty much, we we meet in the morning, and then we, we'll go, we'll all drive to the facility, go out practice, and then we're done. So it's just a little different. It's it's pretty much like last year, and the one, and one reason I even say like last year is just because uh, it didn't feel very personal. You know, I, I really feel like I didn't get to know many of the rookies last year. I didn't, I didn't feel like I get to... You know, any of the new guys last year, I really just felt like it was, you know, we really weren't 
a team because we didn't spend any time together. There wasn't D line dinners. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't position meet, like mean dinners and any, anything like that. But I think, you know, the, the beauty of it this year is that like, you know, you kind of made up for last year, you know, and this year, you know, hanging out with all the younger players. Like I've really gotten to get to know Sosa this year, you know, he was on the podcast and everything. And, and just, you know, being around everybody, I've gotten to know our rookie Spence this year. I've gotten, you know, and that's the things that I feel like, you know, is missing and will be missed when it comes to like these, uh, you know, new COVID protocols. But, you know, when it comes to the COVID protocols, they keep changing and, and they're not really keeping us updated. Uh, the NFL is kind of just throwing this shit at us and it's kind of like, here, deal with it. And as you can tell, they're just trying to, you know, get through the season and get this shit over with and, 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 and make it somebody else's problem after the season's over because we're just, you know, I, I look at some of these rules and they don't really make sense to me. And, you know, I don't necessarily, I don't know everything about COVID and I'm not trying to act like I do, but you can't tell me this week if someone, okay, here's the one thing that is it's kind of confusing to me as a player when it comes to COVID and the code of COVID protocols. So if you're asymptomatic and you get COVID, you only have to be away from the team for five days, but can you still pass on the, the virus? That's that's the thing that is kind of bothering me here. The CDC, is, they're following the same thing that the CDC just put out. It said knock it from ten days down to five days. But like it's just I don't know. Like like I said, maybe that's the point. I'm just playing devil's advocate or whatever. Following the CDC, if if they're scientists, that after all their studies, they're saying ten days was a little extreme. At five days, if you're asymptomatic, especially if you're vaccinated, but even if you're unvaccinated. At five days, it has come and gone, and you can't transmit it. I'm guessing is from from the five days that you tested positive, that like whenever that clock started, because you obviously might have had it for a day or two before, right? So I I don't know. Uh, I'm look, I'm just as confused as everybody else. But the NFL is kind of mirroring the CDC on this one. Yeah, but like the NFL, you know, it kind of it just hasn't been any guidance for the NFL all season, and it's kind of been like, hey, COVID's getting bad. Let's just go back on everything we promised the players when we could have been working on something the whole year, or you know. Figure you could have figured something out way earlier than kind of just going to these extremes at the end of the year because you refuse to talk to us and and come up with something. Well, and you could have had, definitely had multiple scenarios planned. Hey, we've got Plan A, Plan B, Plan C, Plan D, or name them one, two, three, four, whatever, and say this is going to happen if this happens. We're going to Plan Two. Be ready. Or Plan C. This is you know this scenario. We're changing these protocols. Be ready. It's happening next week. Or it, it does feel like. Maybe, maybe they were having those conversations privately, but they certainly weren't communicating it to the players. Yeah, no. No, we, we really didn't get told anything, but my whole thing is I just want to be safe. And and that's, I think that's some, a hundred, everyone in the league. We just want to be safe. We just don't want to take anything home to our kids and our, our families. And so I just hope, hope to God that like what, the, what they're doing is, is, is logical. You know what I mean? Because, you know, sometimes some of these COVID responses haven't necessarily been logical and protecting players and and that's what i'm worried about is protecting players and because you know we could talk about even our team you know you know purcell went on the the COVID list on what monday, monday. yeah monday so technically they said he, he could be able to he could be ready to play by sunday yeah and i just and my whole thing is i just don't want you know someone that it, it just doesn't make any sense because technically you could bring him back within five days in that five days, but what if they pass it off to five more people on the team? Right. Then you you just you know it's just you're you're not stopping the spread. You're kind of just accelerating. Well, you and I are in a different spot than a lot of people our age, whether that be thirty or or early to mid forties. In that, yeah, we're both vaccinated, but we have young kids who are not vaccinated. Right. Your little boy just turned one. My little girl is. 14 and a half, almost 15 months. My, you know, we've got three-year-olds at home, right? We've got all these little kids that have not been vaccinated. Your 15-year-old, my 15-year-old are in much better shape. But if you get it from Mike Purcell inadvertently or a different teammate because they came back too soon and the CDC was wrong and you pass it off to one of your kids, it's going to be a really tough pill to swallow, right? And I think about the same thing, that like if I'm irresponsible – and I end up getting one of my little kids sick because I wanted to go to a concert or go to a game or whatever. I don't think I could live with myself if anything, you know, beyond them having no symptoms, right? If there's anything s- severe or, n- or nervous, I-, I know I couldn't live with myself. I don't think anyone could, you know? So that's the whole thing. It's just more like we just want to make sure we're safe. You know what I mean? We, that's the whole, that's all that matters. We just want to make sure we are safe. 
All right, so the Chargers have, have been bitten by the COVID bug more significantly than you guys have in, in recent weeks, for sure. I was able to survive my one fantasy semifinal where I have Austin Eckler, and while I don't want him to go crazy against you guys, I'd like him to play at least and, and help my fantasy championships. My guy Aaron Rodgers, your guy Aaron Rodgers, Packers fan, uh, if he has a big enough game, it won't matter what Eckler does. But without knowing who all will be available for them, how different does this Chargers team look then when you saw them and beat them here at in Powerfield at Mile High back in November, well, I really I didn't see them, but, but you know they had definitely the, uh, the left guard's back. Uh, he was hurt. Uh, he actually had an ankle injury the same week I did. But you know they um the defense is playing well. You know they're playing flying around making plays. They're rushing the passer. You know Bosa's still Bosa, and and you know they they they're not what their numbers try to tell you on defense. You know what I mean? Their numbers try to tell you they're not a good rush defense and. Because the thing is, like, you're not just going to go out there and, and, and act like you're going to rush for 150 yards because of their numbers say you will. You know what I mean? You, like, you actually have to go out there and do it. And, like, their offense, you know, with these new COVID rules, they're going to get a couple of these playmakers back. And I'm pretty sure Lindsley, the center, will be back. And and, and they're going to be at full strength and they're going to be, you know, blasting. But, you know, the, the key the key to everything is just really just stopping them from the big plays, you know. And, and you know, I always pretty much give the same shit when it comes to stopping every quarterback every week. But... You know, with Justin Herbert, he's he's actually he's he's very smart, and so I would say one of the ways you actually stop him this year is you kind of have to try to confuse him. It's not as easy as just rushing the passer this week. You know what I mean? Like you got to confuse him. You know, you gotta you, you gotta make it that he's not like what he's looking at the start is not what he's looking at the end. But then also with that, the way you confuse him is rushing the passer, getting his face, because then you have to accelerate. You know, his thinking behind it. But then we got to we got to shut down Eckler. Like I said, we got to make them a one-dimensional team, but even that one dimension is still scary. You know what I mean? They, they can throw the hell out the bar. They have lots of weapons. You know, they have Williams. They have, they have uh, Allen. They have Jared Cook. You know, they died and they have, they have, they have Eckler that comes out the back, but they have a lot of, of, of playmakers. And so, you know, our, it's not going to be easy, but our job, we got to, we're going to have to stop the run. You know, we're going to have to confuse them a little bit in the back end and we're going to have to get after the passer. Well, I'm sure you saw with Eckler out last week, the Jackson kid came in and, Looked like Melvin Gordon or LaDainian Tomlinson. <laughs> he was rolling all over the place. Scored a couple times. You got to think he'll be at least some part of their run game because you can't take a guy that's playing that well off the field for too long, even if Eckler's back and, and ready to roll. So for for a team that maybe isn't running the ball as as well as, as others, although they're actually ranked one spot ahead of your offense right now at 18th, Jackson certainly changes that dynamic in their run game when you have him and Eckler, especially if they're both out there. Man, anytime you have a two, you know, a two running back system, it's difficult for the defense because you have two different runners, you know. And that's the thing—you have two different type of runners, just like how we do it on offense, you know, with the Broncos. You know, Melvin Javante, you know, they're two completely different runners, but they work really well together. And so you'll start to see, you know, if Eckler and, and you know the other running back can, you know, work together. And then w- with Herbert and, and confusing him, I I got to think that that's something Vic excels at, right? We saw that in in the game against the Chargers. I guess how tricky is it to confuse a guy that's one smart and two very talented when you saw him just a few weeks ago, without trying to do the same stuff, right? Like, here's a good example, and depends on when people will listen to this. The Nuggets managed to hold Steph Curry to six of sixteen and five of fourteen from three Tuesday night. Thursday night, Steph Curry's going to come back in. Whatever they were throwing at Steph Curry. They're going to have to switch it up a little. I understand some of it's just physical, and can you, you know, make his shots difficult? But for a young quarterback, Vic can't just pull out the same old bag of tricks. He's probably got to dig deeper and, and pull out a, a few more tricks. You would think, right? Well, yeah, but you, you know, that's that's what Vic does. And so, you know, I play D line. I'm not confusing anybody. <laughs> you know, what I mean, I'm not, I'm not <laughs> doing that. I've never played DB and never any of that. But the one thing I do know is, you know, Vic is widely respected in this league and, and you know, the proof's in the pudding. You know, we go out there every week and, and we've been shutting some of the best offense and some, some of the best quarterbacks down. So you got to be confusing them a little bit. But with that confusion, like I said, we just got we got to get in his face. We got to get pressure and we and we just got to, you know, we got to make plays. You know, last, last time we played the Chargers, we made a bunch of plays, you know, tip balls and, you know, and uh, interception end zone. Like we just got to make plays and, and that's how we win the game. And if memory serves me right, you got off the field on third down. They're the third best team in football on third down. But that day at Empower Field at Mile High, you guys were able to get them off the field uh, a bunch. So 
with Drew Locke likely back at quarterback, your running game wanting to reestablish itself and certainly not liking the way things went down uh, and their lack of production against the Raiders, what will it take? What What do you want to see in order to come away with the win and keep your playoff hopes alive? We got to be able to run the ball. You know, that's the biggest thing, run the ball and no turnovers. And and we got to start connecting on our shots. I would tell you, you know, we, we got to get some big plays out of our offense, some chunks. You know, something we got to keep the defenses honest. And you know, if you're not you're not connecting on these chunk plays, they're just worried about the underneath and 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 the run game. So we just gotta, you know, we really do, we got to start connecting on our deep balls and and on our and our and our big plays. And we got to just run the ball. All right, let's get to the mailbag. Just a few mailbag questions, and because all three of these guys are good question askers, I'm gonna give all of them some Chugwater Chili this week. Chugwater Chili, go to. Their website, ChugwaterChili.com, promo code ChugwaterBK. You'll save 25% off. Chugwater Chili is a gourmet spice of Western life. Uh, so Joe Walston, Brandon Walker, and Chris Akris, I'm going to reach out to all three of you guys and make sure you guys get some Chugwater Chili. We had some good questions last week. I'm going to get one or two folks some uh, variety packs there as well, thanks to our friends at Chugwater. So as I'm looking through these, we'll, we'll go in, in order of – I think best conversation. Uh, Joe Walston says, when you were chasing down Derek Carr in the game, were you more impressed with his speed or yours? You were flying for a D lineman. Hope you have a happy new year and get that W in LA. And I guess he's talking about the play where Derek just beat you to the corner. And I know it was pissing you off. I was just happy as shit. I was happy. I was still breathing, <laughs> but honestly, no, it, it was just, uh, you know, I, I, we know how fast Derek Carr is. You know, we talk about it and he's like sneaky fast and, Pretty much every quarterback in our division now that Phillip Rivers is gone and sneaky fast and, and can move. And but you know, for me, I don't know. I was, you know, obviously I was hoping I could be a little faster and get him before the first down. But, you know, I'm not judging it based off of how fast I was. I'm just happy, you know, if you look at the play, if if I'm not doing that, he can do another he can get another 10, 15 yards easy on the scramble. So, you know, I moved as fast as I needed to on that play. Chris Akris. Wants to know, hey, Shelby, besides during contract negotiations, do GMs regularly converse with players? Do they hold meetings with players? Are players asked about how they feel about players and coaches? So I guess this is John Elway in the past and now George Payton this year. What is typically yours or other players' interactions with GMs that you can tell? You know, George, George is around. Obviously, we all eat in the same lunchroom and shit. So, you know, we're around and George talks. You know, George is a you know, nice, cool person. He'll sit there, talk, have a conversation. He's a real guy, you know? George is going to keep it 100 with you, and that's why. You know, I think a lot of people respect him and, and why he'll do really well in this league. And because he can just sit and, you know, shoot the shit with the players, and, and it's not awkward. So, yeah, like, George is around. George is, you know, making his rounds, talking to people, and, and you know, just, you know, making it making it a family, making it, making it a real, you know, organization, real team. And then Brandon Walker's question, which I'm going to kind of ex- expound on a little bit, are, are there any limitations – in, in time, you have to celebrate the holiday, and, and we know about how Christmas worked. You got to hang out till 11, and the Vic had you all come in. Uh, but such as you can't go to parties over 100 people. I know there are limitations just based on crowd sizes in general that the league has tried to impose, certainly last year. But I guess to kind of piggyback on that, with New Year's Eve on Friday and you guys having a, an easier day Friday typically, and, and Saturday you're going to have to fly to L.A., but Saturdays are, are walkthroughs. D- do you have to worry about your teammates uh, doing something crazy on New Year's or, or getting a little too loose on New Year's? Is that a conversation that needs to be had is what I'm asking. Man, I don't have to have that conversation with some grown-ass men. Not you. I'm not their parents. You know, no, I'm talking about anyone. Though. I'm not their parents. You know, they're grown-ass men. Like, what the hell I look like over here? Tell them, don't do this. Like, don't do this. No, they know what the hell they can do. You know, what they, they know what the hell they should do. And that's the thing. It's like, like you know, in pro sports, you know, somehow like they always, people always get off from talking to athletes like kids. It's like, no, these are grown ass men, and they make money, and so they're going to do whatever the hell they want to do anyway. But the thing is, like, you know, for New Year's and stuff, uh, it's going to be hard to do anything. Should we leave Saturday? You know what I mean? And like, and also, it's like, what are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish? You know, do you want to stay up till three, four in the morning on New Year's and then wake up at eight and go to work and then fly out and then be hungover all day? Or are we trying to win this game? So, you know, I leave that up to everybody else because, you know, when I was young, yeah, I might have went out. You know what I mean? Like, I would, I might have did something. But, you know, they're, they're, everyone's to each his own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, that's really the main thing, to each his own. 
Will you have any uh, big New Year's? I mean, Friday's off in a date night for you and your wife, so you got, you got a New Year's dinner planned. Everything's more expensive on New Year's Eve. No, we will be at the house with the kids, <laughs> man. I don't like. There's not going to be any, you know, any special celebrations going on. But you know, it's just for us. We'll probably just be around our family, just kicking it, you know. But you know, whatever anyone else chooses to do, that's on them. Will you be up till midnight to watch the ball drop, or will you watch like the CNN feed and watch it at you know ten o'clock our time, midnight Eastern? Uh, you know what though, with the kids, we might actually throw on the CNN one and be like, "Hey, it's, it's midnight, go to bed." There you, <laughs> you go. Know what I mean? Just get in the bed real quick. <laughs> Perfect. All right, then the final one I have for you. Not a mailbag question, uh, but this is uh, what we'll end on. Do you are you a New Year's resolution kind of person? And if so, do you have one this year, or will you make one? I think they're stupid. Just change, they're like, they're like, you don't need a new year to make a resolution. Just do it. Right. You know what I mean? Like, you don't need, like, like usually if you have a new year's resolution and you're waiting for the new year to do it, you're more likely going to break it. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I think. If, that, if that's what it takes for you to, like, uh, the new year, then most likely you're going to break it. But, you know, I'm not a new year's resolution guy, and I kind of just stay. Like, you know, I just, if I feel like I need to change something, I kind of just make a plan and try to change it now. Yeah. And I, my buddy who's a personal trainer, that was always his thing. He would put it out there like around early, mid-December. He's like, if you're going to make a New Year's resolution to get in better shape and eat better, why wait? <laughs> why wait? Just start today. Just go get in the gym. When I was single, my resolution was just to remain disease-free, which I was able to accomplish. That's, 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 great. that's great to know, Brent. <laughs> that is great to know. Now I'm going to try to uh, get on the Peloton that we've been paying for since uh, a week into the pandemic when my birthday rolled around a couple of years ago and I have not necessarily crushed it. <laughs> so uh, that's, that's my plan. I'm going to get on the Peloton. <laughs> well, well, we appreciate everybody making it to the end of the podcast, man. Rate and review is five stars and we'll see you hopefully after a Denver Bronco W next week. Hey, God talk bless. to you next year. Oh, next year. Oh yeah. Come on, those are dad jokes, right? You also have the permission to punch anybody that says, hey, see you next year on uh, any time the next two days. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.